Uh, Colossians chapter 3 is the text of scripture that we're going to look at this morning. I'm not going to read the text in its entirety because it's kind of long. What I am going to do is uh, I'm going to read a portion of it. We're going to talk about it and then we'll kind of alternate through like that. But before I begin the message this morning, I want to tell you the story of Stan Andresi. When Stan Andresi was in his 20s, he was running with the wrong crowd. He was on the wrong, wrong track in life. And uh, he was arrested a couple of times. Ultimately, he was convicted of three felony counts of drug trafficking and sentenced to 10 years in prison. When he was sentenced, the prosecutor said that Stan Andresi was a career criminal and his quote was this, with no hope for change. None whatsoever. Uh, society and that prosecutor had given up on Stan Andresi and said there's no way that he could ever change. Well, Stan got to prison, and unlike a lot of guys that you would think of as drug traffickers, he actually liked to read. So he started reading, and he took advantage of a college that actually offered college courses for college credit. You could earn a degree in prison and he earned his bachelor's degree. And after he finished that, he asked if he could work on his master's degree and he earned a master's degree in, in biology. And when he got out of prison, one of his professors saw so much potential in him. He actually sponsored his, uh, his application to earn a PhD. Stan Andresi is currently a professor at Howard University Medical School and at Johns Hopkins University in the field of endocrinology. I actually got that out and I did have to practice it. So I will not be saying endocrinology very often, but he, he teaches as a PhD. He actually does a program for inmates where he, that's called from prison to PhD, where he encourages them to do the same thing. Stan Andresi refused to allow a prophecy spoken over him by a prosecutor that there was no hope for change to be the truth. He chose a different path. Some of you in this room, and some of you who watch this on Facebook Live or, or you're watching on the webcast, you're saying to yourself, you know what? I would really like to change, but I don't know if there's any hope that I could possibly ever change. Some of you are exhausted by the effort that you've put out in the past to change. You've tried to change. You've tried different methods, and it just wears you out. Some of you are fatigued by constant failure in some area of your life. There is a habit. There is an attitude. There is something in your life that you keep going back to, and you are worn out by trying to change to the place where you're saying, I quit. I give up. I cannot change. This morning, I just want you to leave with a ray of hope that, yes, you can. But it may not be by the method that you think you can change. And it's certainly not by those worn out, tried habits that you've worked through in the past. Somehow there has to be a way to change that God offers us. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us about in Colossians chapter 3. Now, to move into Colossians chapter 3, and since we're exactly halfway through the letter... Two, there are two chapters of rich theological content that we've worked through. And then there are two chapters that are equally rich with content, but it's, it's more practical. It's more how-to in this particular passage. And so 
We're right at halfway, so let me recount a couple of things. Some of my favorite passages that I need to remember, one of them that I'm kind of working on memorizing, but I hadn't gotten there yet, so it won't come out just right, is Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 is where Paul says that he rescued us from the domain of darkness, that there was no way for us to save ourselves, and Jesus rescued us, that when he rescued us, he didn't just leave us alone to make our way to heaven. He transferred us to his kingdom. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That he redeemed us by his death on the cross with blood from a cross. He, he paid the price. And as a result of that, then he sent his spirit to reside in us. A little bit later in chapter 1, he says that our hope is rooted in the fact that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And then in chapter 2, let me remind you of one other portion of scripture. It's where we took our, our theme for this entire series of sermons. The Bible says he canceled that certificate of indebtedness against us. All of our sin debt, it's like every sin I'd ever committed, every sin I am committing, every sin I will ever commit was written out on a document and it was nailed to the cross and he canceled it. He paid in full my sin debt. And most of us in this room accept that that's exactly what happened in my Christian experience. Most of, for most of you, that wasn't new information. But you're wondering, does that make any difference today? And it does. Because what Paul tells us in this passage is how we can actually experience lasting, real change. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of Colossians. I'm going to read to verse 4 to start with. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I believe that Paul gives us in these first four verses the very basics of what it takes to change. What are the very basics of what it takes to change? First of all, you need a new perspective. He says, I want you to, to keep seeking the things above. And I want you to set your mind on the things that are above. The New International Version translates it this way. Set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above. It, it sort of creates a parallel between those two verses of Scripture. And what Paul is saying to us is this, you need a new perspective. Stop focusing on earthly things. Stop using the mantra, well, everybody else is doing it. Stop going along with the crowd and begin to see things from a new perspective, from God's perspective. Set your mind, set your heart on things above. And in order to do that, you have to recognize your new position. You need a new perspective, but you also need to recognize your new position. Now, in this passage, Paul says to us something about Jesus that we need to recognize. He says, I want you to, uh, verse 1, keep sinking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. When Jesus was raised from the dead, 
over the next period of 40 days, Jesus made several resurrection appearances. He was in a resurrection body, appearing to his disciples, proving the resurrection, showing them that he was alive, and he, approved a, uh, he, he uh, appeared several different times. And then finally, we come to a moment when he gathers his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He gives them the Great Commission, and he says these words, all authority has been given unto me. Now, that's important. A lot of times when we take, think about the Great Commission, we start quoting at, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them whatsoever things I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But the first part of the Great Commission is this, all authority has been given unto me. He then completes that, that expression. He answers a question for the disciples. He tells them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, I want you to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you the power to do that. And then something amazing happens. Jesus was enveloped in a cloud and he began to, ri began to rise up to ascend off the Mount of Olives. And he ascended back into heaven. Now that's what happened to Jesus. That's what the Bible says. But when he got back to heaven, the Bible says that he was seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, here's what's important about that. In the ancient world, when there was a king, he would sit on a throne. But his prime minister, the one who carried out all of his commandments, the one who carried out all of his laws, the one who ran the government, the one who he entrusted with all authority, was seated at his right hand. At the right hand of the Father, Jesus is seated in the seat of all authority. Now, that's, that is significant and important. But here's what else is important. The book of Ephesians parallels the book of Colossians in a lot of what is taught. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says not only is Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, but look at this. Ephesians 2, 6. And... He raised us up with him and seated us, completed action, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, you're saying, Bob, you don't understand. You're, I don't feel like I'm seated in heavenly places. You know, you're not walking through what I'm walking through. You're not, my, your business doesn't have problems like my business, apparently. You're, you're not dealing with the people I'm dealing with. You're not dealing with the temptation I'm dealing with. This just doesn't sound real. Let me say this to you. It's not what you can see, but it's equally real. Just because you can't see it doesn't make it real. It doesn't mean it's not real. And here's what Jesus is saying to us. Here's what Paul is teaching us. The Bible is saying to us, not only do you need a new perspective, you need to think from a new position that in Christ, you, it is as if it is already done. The work has been done. Your position is absolutely clear and permanent. You are seated with him in heavenly places. And here's what Paul is saying to us. You need to see from a new perspective. You need to recognize your position. And if you're really going to change, you also need to to tap into a power that is beyond yourself. There's a little expression down in verse 4 that I think we really need to plow into, and that is, when Christ, who is your life, who is our life, is revealed. Christ, 
who is our life. Now, I want to give you one of the keys to real, meaningful, lasting change in your life. This is a perspective that you need that will change the way that you conduct what you might call the Christian life. Many of us think that the Christian life is, in a simple phrase, living for Jesus. Now, I'm not going to tell you that's a poor definition. Obviously, we want to live for Christ. But the Christian life really isn't you living for Jesus. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, For I am crucified with Christ, so it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Christian life is not you by your own effort, by your own willpower, living for Jesus in a world that's falling apart. I'm going to be strong enough to live for Jesus. That is not the Christian life. You're not strong enough to do it. The Christian life is not you living for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living through you. That is a whole different perspective on life. Because the spirit that is within you has the power to change you. Change is not by you adopting enough rules and enough religion and putting on all of these, this legalistic religion in order that someday you'll change. You'll get there. No, the Christian life is allowing the Spirit of God that he placed in you when you were saved to live through you and to transform you. Change is an inside job. When a caterpillar it nears the end of its life as a caterpillar, it will climb as far up in a tree as it can possibly climb until it is absolutely exhausted. It will go out on the end of a limb and there... It will just surrender. And what it's surrendering to is something inside its DNA. Something that God planted there when he created the caterpillar. And all of a sudden, out of this little button on a caterpillar, there will, there will come a single strand of, we call it silk. And that little silk strand comes, comes out and he begins to wrap himself. He begins to roll and turn over in that single strand of silk until it wraps itself all the way around him, encasing him in what we call a cocoon. And inside that cocoon, that caterpillar is transformed into a beautiful butterfly. It is metamorphosis. It is absolute, complete, and total change. And that's what God wants to do for you, not by an outside force, but from an inside source, something within you that says, God is beckoning you. He is calling you to change. This old way of life is over and a new way of life is coming. And that's what God calls on you to do. That's the basics of change. It is coming to grips and understand that change is, is possible. Yes, but the power for change is the spirit of God that's working within me. Secondly, Paul then tells us how we change. He gets eminently practical. The next part of this, this passage is completely practical. And the image that Paul uses is putting on clothing and taking off clothing. Look down at verse 9. I'm going to show you this real quick, and then we'll work our way through the passage. Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another. There's an example. Since you 
laid aside the old self with its evil practices. You laid aside. It's like you have on a dirty garment, an old dirty sweatshirt, and you lay it aside. You take off your, the dirty clothes. Look at verse 10. And put on the new self who is being renewed, who is being changed, whom God is working in and working on until he brings out of us the character of Christ. So here's what Paul would say. First of all, you need to clean out the closet of your heart and mind. Clean out the closet of your heart and mind. Look at verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. He says, okay, if it's going to be garments, if we're talking about clothing, then clean out the closet of your heart and mind. He says, I want you to put aside, put all of those things aside. I want you to lay aside those dirty clothes. And then he's going to move forward in just a few minutes. But let's talk about what he means by what we need to put aside. First of all, he says, I want you to put aside sexual immorality. In verse 5, he talks about immorality. The word there is the word pornea in the language of the Greek New Testament. We get our word pornography from it. And so he says, I want you to lay aside immorality, impurity, passions, and evil desires. As believers and followers of Jesus... One of the areas where in our culture we need to most seriously consider our attitudes is in our attitudes towards sexuality. Our world is in the midst of a revolution of the way we think about things like gender and homosexuality and, and all sorts of areas. And Paul says, here's what you've got to do. You cannot adopt the world's attitude toward these issues. God defines marriage. Period. He invented it. He gets to, the inventor gets to define it. And he says, I want you to lay aside that immorality. I want you to take it off like it's a dirty sweatshirt and you've been out working in your garden all day. You just discard it. He then says, I want you to lay aside your greed. Your greed becomes immorality. He says, I want you to lay that aside. Our world is constantly seeking more and more and more. I, I saw an article not too long ago about Paris Hilton. Now, Paris Hilton was famous. Anybody tell me what she was famous for? No, you can't. Because she was just famous for being famous. That was pretty much it with Paris Hilton. But in 2018, she was engaged to this guy named Chris Zilka. And Chris Zilka wanted to impress Paris Hilton. Now, how do you impress Paris Hilton? Heiress to the Hilton Hotel Fortune. Well, you buy her a $2 million engagement ring. $2 million. He gives her the $2 million engagement ring. Six weeks later, their relationship falls apart. <laughs> so much for that investment. And 
He says, okay, we're, we're not going to get married. She says, no, we're not going to get married. I want my ring back. She says, no. Interestingly enough, there is a law in the state of California that says, of course there is. There's a law for everything in the state of California. There is a law in California that says that if two people are engaged to one another, and one of them obviously gives an engagement ring to the other, if the engagement falls apart, then you have to give the engagement ring back. She still refused to do it. He took her to court until she finally relented and gave him the engagement ring. Now, my thought is this. Why does the heiress to the Hilton Hotel fortune want an engagement ring given to her by a guy that she's not even going to marry? The answer is greed. The answer is greed. I heard a joke the other day that said, who's happier? The person with 12 kids or the person with $12 million? The answer is the person with 12 kids because they don't want no more. <laughs> Probably. But the person with $12 million, I'll guarantee you, is not satisfied. They want more. Greed will always cause, call us to more. I need more. I want more. And then Paul works into some sins that are especially relevant for our culture. He talks about sins of the temper. Look at verse 8. But put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice. Those are words for both anger and for the actions that anger leads us to. Anger leads to wrath. Wrath is this overflow of temper, this overflow of anger into action. And malice is actually the desire or the action to do harm to another person. When you look at our world, our world is engaged in what many people are calling the age of rage. And it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on. People are just angry. And sometimes it overflows in the words they say, but sometimes it overflows to actions. And it overflows in a way that is destructive and harmful and, and injurious to other people. Paul says, I want you to take that attitude, that attitude of rage and anger, and I want you to lay it aside like a dirty garment. And then he goes to something even more practical and personal. He talks about sins, not just of the temperament, but sins of the tongue. Verse 8 again, slander and abusive speech from your mouth. And verse 9, do not lie to one another. He calls us to be people who tell the truth. He calls us to be people who don't twist the truth. Sometimes you can say things that are true, but it's not the whole truth. And so you lead people to believe a truth that's not really all the truth. Come on, I've been on Facebook, you have too. You know that's true. And Paul says, I want you to lay that aside. Don't slander one another. Don't say things about one another that you take the worst of somebody's character and you question their motives and you, you do those sort of things. Don't, don't engage in abusive speech. Don't put one another down and don't lie to one another. Now, let me define a lie for the benefit of some of you in the room. You say, Bob, we really don't need that. I think we do. 
A lie is not simply stating something that is not true. You might believe with all your heart something is true and you say it. A lie is bearing false witness against another. It is using a mistruth that you know is not true in order to injure another person. I say that for the benefit of some of you in the room who are a little younger. Every now and then, your parents will say something to you. And it turns out that your parents are not omniscient. They don't know everything as parents. We just don't. We're, we're human too. And I'll hear a kid say, you lied to me. No, your parents didn't lie to you. They told you what they believed was the truth. They told you what they believed was going to happen. And then because circumstances are out of their control, things didn't happen. That does not mean your parents lied to you. They did not tell you an untruth with the intent to harm. That's a lie. What they did was they did the best they could as your parents. That's what they did. And Paul says to us, whether it's lying or slander, whether it's rage and malice and abuse from a person physically, whether it is sexual immorality or greed, he says, I want you to clean out the closet. Because in your closet, there are things, come on, ladies, you know it's true. There are things you are never going to wear again. You're saying, oh, maybe they'll come back in style. I know what you're saying, but you're never going to wear it again. Guys, some of us have got that T-shirt from the 1998 National Championship or whatever it was, you know. Come on, you're not wearing that. That's ancient history. You can keep it as a keepsake maybe. But here's the reality. We need to clean out the closet of all of those, those problems. Now, how do you do that? You surrender to the work of the Spirit in your life. You surrender to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You begin to, to sensitively listen to God. And when God begins to convict you of something, you repent of it. And you repent of it over and over again if you need to. But the best way to do it is that when you take off something that is dirty, you put on something new. And that's what Paul says. He says in verse 10, and put on the new self who is being renewed, who is being changed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other just as whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love. He goes through an entire new wardrobe for you and for me. He says that wardrobe is the character of Christ. Come on, listen to those characteristics. He says, I want you to put on compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness. I want you to have patience with one another and forbearance. I, I want you to, to learn what it means to truly forgive one another and put on love. Some people have made an obvious parallel between this and the fruit of the Spirit. 
And I think there is, a, there is a good parallel there. This is what the Spirit of God longs to produce in your life. This is the character of Christ. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's available to you. You can change. It's available to you, but you've got to put it on. You've got to cooperate with the Spirit. Not too long ago, my wife was going through my daughter's closet. And uh, she was pulling these clothes out of the closet and laying them on the bed like there's a stack of clothes there. And I'm like, what are you doing? She said, she's outgrown all of these. I said, I'm kind of sad about that. You know, I mean, it's amazing to me. One of the things I did not account for when we had a child was how much money is you're going to spend on clothing and shoes. I mean, they just go through them like crazy. They never wear out because they don't wear them enough to wear them out. I mean, they just grow and all of a sudden, like, and there's these growth spurts, you know, where your child goes from this tall to this tall, just like that. And you're like, well, how did that happen? And so she pulls these clothes out of her closet and she said, I want you to look at this. And she pulls out three little shirts and she said, what do you notice about these three shirts? I said, I've never seen them before. She said, no, you haven't. You haven't seen them before because they've been in the closet. But look at this. And she shows me the tags. The tags are still on them. I said, well, well, don't get rid of those. And she said, they're two sizes too small. She never wore them. They were available to her, but she never put them on. Let me tell you this. The character of Christ, the virtues of the Spirit are available to you. They are available to you because he purchased them with his blood. And by his Spirit, he comes and he dwells within you. And if you will allow him, he will transform your life. You can be renewed. But it's not by self-effort. It's not by self-discipline. It's not just by being stronger than other people and so you can change. It is by allowing Jesus Christ to live in you and to work in you. A few years ago, I had a neighbor who I would just call a skeptic. He wasn't really uh, like an atheist who just hated Christians and he was not hateful to me. He was always really nice to me, as a matter of fact. But he, he was a skeptic and we talked about spiritual things. He, it was obvious to me. He really didn't believe that any miracle had ever happened. He really didn't believe in the resurrection. He thought Jesus might be a pretty good teacher and had some good things to say. But he really didn't believe there was a heaven or a hell. He just thought when this life is over, it's just over. And he asked me one day, he goes, Hey, Bob, what if you get to the end of life and you die and none of it's been true? Like, would you feel like you wasted your life? I mean, you're, after all, you're a preacher. You're telling people this stuff. Would you feel like you just wasted your life? And I said, well, first of all, I do believe it's true. I don't think that's going to happen. I said, second, I guess if that were the case, then I'd never know it. And you wouldn't either. Because if, if that's the case, you just cease to exist. You're just done. You're done. You're just, you're just done, right? But that wasn't a really good answer. I thought, I didn't like that answer. So I started thinking about it. And I know sometimes when I tell you a story, like I cut to the chase and I give you my answer to somebody like that. But I walked away from that and I just, I knew I hadn't given him a very good answer. I just hadn't. But just like you, Driving down the highway uh, after that conversation, I thought of the perfect answer. 
I have brilliant conversations in my truck. I have never lost an argument in my truck because I always come up with the zinger that ends it all, right? I thought about that. But I knew I'd see him again. So we were talking one day, I don't know, maybe a week later. I said, hey, you know that question you asked me about, like, if I get to the end of life and I find out it, it wasn't what I said it was and it just ends? I said, I've really thought about that. And here's my answer. No. I will not have wasted my life. And let me tell you why. It is better to live with generosity than greed. It is better to live with peace than anger and wrath and malice. It is better to live a life of integrity and truthfulness than to be a liar. And it is better to live with love rather than hate. Even if I got to the end of this life and there wasn't another, and I firmly believe there is, living the Christian life with Christ living through you to produce those character traits is still the best way to live. And the only way to live is with his presence in your life. It's the only way that that happens. Let's pray together. Father, some of us came to this room this morning and there is an issue that we are struggling with, that we are wrestling with, and we really want it to change. We have, an, we have a habit. I have an attitude, and it's wrong. And God, I can't break this habit on my own. I've tried But right now, as best I know how, I am surrendering to you. I'm not going to fight you anymore. I give in to the movement of your spirit. And I'm asking you to do a work in me, that work of renewal and change. Father, I pray for those in this room who've never received Jesus, that today would be a day in which they receive him by repenting of sin, by laying aside an old way of life and saying, dear Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for me. I am a sinner and you died the death I deserved. Father, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead to give me a power beyond myself to truly experience the life you want me to live, to change. And I'm asking you to come into my life today. Father, for anyone who would pray a prayer like that, I am so thankful you always answer yes. In Jesus' name, amen.